Ugh. Okay. I just want to jump into a, a, cold, a cold open show bit that I have. Great call. I was thinking about it the other day. Uh-huh. I have a little, I've been carrying a little notebook in my coat pocket. I don't have it with me. I forgot my jacket at someone's house the other day. But I have something written down called show notes for like bits instead of cold opens. Okay. Um, and I just had one on there. And it said, hire a magician. Because I thought it would be very funny if we watch like The Prestige or something like that. Yeah. And then hire a magician to come do the podcast with us. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I think it'd be very funny if like. A, we could talk to the magician about the movie, and that'd be really funny. That would be. But yeah. also, it'd be funnier if, because it's an audio podcast, he's doing magic for us, and it's just me and you going, wow, that's unbelievable. <laughs> um, that's pretty good. Yeah. So I was out last night with some friends. We were all sitting around a fire, and I ran this idea past our friend Elton. And we're talking, and this and that. And I went online. I, like, priced out how much a magician would be. Yeah. And I think I found our guy. Okay. Do you see. have stats? Is that what you're pulling? Oh, I have. Yeah, I have stats. Uh, his name is Billy Cooper. Okay. Uh, of Super Cooper Magic. This is him. He's 65. He awesome. works, works in the area. Um, let me see. What are some of the stats I have? Um, in his opening, his introduction says, Hello, my name is Bill Cooper, and not only do I perform, perform world class magic, but to make everyone laugh while being max vaxxed. Um, I wonder super super magic. My expertise is in mentalism and high-tech innovative magic for corporate and adult events, which of 99% of other magicians probably do not have privy to. Huh. Um, let me see. I got to speed through this. Okay. Um, There's a Red Robin. Yeah. I don't know if they still do it, but they used to have a magician just come in on, like, Thursdays. Yeah. Bumped into him in the bathroom. Uh, We were thinking about that. I could go to Ramshorn and get that one and see if he'll come on. I remember that guy. But Bill Cooper, uh, his significant magic training is as follows. He owns over $15,000 worth of magic. The majority of such magic consists of over 150 DVDs. I have studied in depth each and every DVD. The DVDs consist of mentalism, illusions, card tricks, coin tricks, rope tricks, children's tricks, shows, stage shows, iPhone tricks, and absolutely phenomenal high-tech wireless remote tricks invented by a great friend. Um, There's so much more. He, like, was a business owner uh, for medical tech and stuff like that, I believe. The business doesn't exist anymore. I don't remember why. Um, Made it disappear. He made it disappear like the Statue of Liberty. Exactly. Um, has great reviews. He's got like a 4.8 out of 5. 80% of them are five-star reviews. Uh, starting price, $200. Uh-huh. And so I went through her and I filled out all the stuff for like, it's an audience of less than four people. Right. <laughs> Everyone's going to be 18 years or older. This and that will only need you for one or two hours. Um, I put down it's a corporate event. And then I had to fill out a little like message in order to send and get like a final price so i'll read you what i wrote okay um what other info should we be we pass along to professionals the question thumbtack asked it's like a thing to hire people with this is a film podcast where we watch and discuss two films an episode we plan on doing an episode about two films that are about magic or magicians, and we think it would be great to have an actual magician on the episode. We'd like to hear your perspective on how magic is portrayed in films, talk about your magic career, and of course, see some magic. We're two 25-year-old guys based in Warren. Our show is small, has a small but respectable online audience, and we're both fully vaccinated. Max vaxxed. Max vaxxed. I wish I could change it, but too far in. <laughs> Our schedule is flexible and open, so whatever works for you works for us. If this is something you'd be interested in doing, please let us know. We'd absolutely love to have you. P.S. We also coincidentally have a cat named Cooper. <laughs> uh, I sent this to him at, I think, like 1210, a little after midnight. Yeah. Six minutes later, I get a message from Billy Cooper. <laughs> I thought this would be a fun <laughs> bit to message a magician. They say no, obviously. Yeah. And I read it. It's a good bit on here. Chris... Bill is extremely interested in doing this. Yeah. Hey, Nick, my mentalism told me that I would be contacted by someone that has a cat named Cooper. LOL. 
Yes, I am indeed very interested. Call me tonight if you want, as I'm getting ready for two shows tomorrow. And then he sent me his phone number. I had to put my phone number into the website for this to happen. Um, I didn't answer that message. And then less than 10 minutes later, I get a text message from Bill Cooper. Yes, Nick, I am very interested. Thanks. Bill Cooper of Super Cooper Magic. I said, thank you, Bill. I'm glad to hear it. I need to iron out a few details with my co-host first. I'll give you a call tomorrow. Is there a time that works best for you? Bill, I should be able to talk after 3 p.m. or after 6 p.m. By the way, I know a lot of professional magicians, and I know how most of all magic tricks are done. And I said, all right, Bill, sounds great. We'll give you a call tomorrow around 6. And he said, okay. Right now, it is 6.01. <laughs> what do we want to do here? Do we call Bill right now? And just talk and not set anything in stone. <clears throat> It'll be $350 to have Bill on the podcast. And I have two investors lined up. Jeff and Elton said they'd pay for it. Wow. But this is... It's a lot, right? This is my most elaborate bit yet, I think. <laughs> I've definitely gotten myself into trouble. I don't know what to do from here. Do you want to call? I mean, you should talk some stuff over first. Do we... Hypothetically, if we go through with this, yeah, do we do it here? Well, what else are we gonna do? Do we have Bill come and sit at our kitchen table? I feel like that would hurt him. His what? expectations might be a little bit higher than sitting at the kitchen table with us. Yeah, do we have to come up with like a facade situation? I don't <laughs> know. Like, how do we set this up? How do we? trick the magician into thinking it's, it's a little more legit um, I, I, my thing is maybe we don't maybe we just were honest with them about what's what's happening here we're two guys in our kitchen what's the most views we've had on an episode like a thousand or something uh, like that yeah on the YouTube thing yeah Yeah, we tell them that yeah. our highest viewed episode is only about a thousand people and we mm-hmm. get maybe half of that per episode Right. it's an audio only podcast but we'll set up a camera just like right here have him sit here and we'll put some videos on our social media and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and also cannot stress this enough you'll be sitting in our kitchen with the two of us that's fair also do we want to invite a stranger into our house who knows magic yeah 4.8 stars I mean he he has a background check done apparently according to this website yeah I'm saying fuck it. Eating Soup Alone is a podcast hosted by me, Christopher Crumlin, and co-hosted by Nicholas Johnson. We try our best to ramble incoherently about a handful of movies at least once a week. Let's we'll talk about a movie and then when Bill yeah. calls back, we'll answer it in yeah. the middle of our discussion. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, what do you, Chris, what movie do you want to talk about? Let's talk about this one's on top. Okay. In the, the, the This is just a ginormous fan mail pile that we have. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I wish that sometimes it was just like, hey, you know what? You guys are pretty funny. It always seems to be about the movie we watched. Yeah, it's never about us. This week, yeah. It's, fucked up. it's almost mental. You know what's going to happen? Huh? In a couple of weeks, we're just going to get letter after letter about, you guys got to have Bill back. He was great. <laughs> Jojo Rabbit. You know who is super fun, charming, and playful? The Nazis. Tika Waititi. Probably. Jojo Rabbit is a surprisingly cute and funny coming-of-age film about a 10-year-old boy in the Hitler Youth. And don't worry, it's also a huge bummer. 7 out of 10. Chris, what's your history with Jojo Rabbit? Also, it's Taika Waititi. Um, my history with Jojo Rabbit? Uh, that shit came out, uh, and I remember... At the time, it seemed like people were either like, there was like a, some kind of controversy where people were like, this is fucked up. And then other people were just like, it's okay. And then that's all I really remember. I don't ever really remember seeing any controversy about it. I think there was something with just people being like, is it okay to joke about the Holocaust? 
Oh. Okay. Something like that. I mean, it was obviously like uh, worded differently, but at the heart, that was mainly the, I think, the primary concern, which is just silly to me a little bit because, I mean, you know, kind of been doing it since the 60s. Yeah. You know, so. I mean, even before that, Donald Duck was Hitler for a period. That's true. So. It's funny to joke about the Nazis, but I don't think the Holocaust, which I don't think this movie does. No. It doesn't really touch the Holocaust much. Not at all. What about you? Um, I've never seen trailers for it. Fan of Taika Waititi. Yeah. Um, I enjoy his films. He directed, I believe, a few episodes of Flight of the Concords as well. Mm -hmm. He's also, I think he's from New Zealand. Um, And I just think he's a a treat and a half and he's a good director. And I like his movies and I saw it and he plays Hitler and I'm like, that looks like fun. Yeah. And then I never ended up seeing it in theaters. I think I like bought it when it like came out, like rented it when it came out, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, liked it a lot. It's it's one of those movies that like the trailer sells you something different than what the movie actually is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I liked it, and then I watched it a second time and loved it. Sort of those like expectations are set now. I know it's not this type of movie. You know, yeah. imaginary Hitler isn't in that much of it. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, I I love this movie. It's one of the few movies I uh, own physically. Even though we couldn't get it to work when we tried to watch it. I don't tell anybody, but I bought it again on digital. So I own this movie twice because my Blu-ray doesn't work. What would you think of it? I think the expectation thing uh, you were talking about is uh, accurate. I didn't really know what to expect. And it certainly wasn't what I expected. So I would say that I uh, liked it. I thought it was okay. Um, also reminded me a bit of... Um, this is pure conjecture. I mean, I'm really walking the plank on this one. By no means am I comparing the two, because one obviously has a legacy that would make my statement ridiculous. Uh, but Tika kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Mel Brooks, honestly. Yeah, I get that, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, with the uh, What We Do in the Shadows parody. Kind of reminded me of like a young Frankenstein type. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. Hitler deal uh, here kind of reminds me a bit of uh, the producers, yeah. obviously. Eh, those comparisons are wild. There's not a lot of DNA there, but, you know, I just. Um, it just reminds me of this Mel Brooks um, documentary I saw where he was talking about. Um, his like early mission statement being that like at least to his experience in the Jewish community because he's very very Jewish um he, obviously he didn't use this turn of phrase but he was he just explaining that like Hitler was still kind of like the Voldemort character like people didn't even really want you to say his name kind yeah. of a thing and so his 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 mission statement was to kind of like take that power away from uh Hitler basically so you know like uh specifically um the producers um yeah hitler is you know lampoon pretty yeah pretty i mean i mean think of 1960s level <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, you know, yeah, yeah make him talk like a hippie and it's like oh look hitler talking like a hippie that's you know so it's it's a mild roasting but yeah still um and so yeah, I guess I was just uh, I was thinking about that a lot, and, and especially with like the little bit of uh, um, yeah. So just real quick, I just googled the Jojo Rabbit Rabbit controversy thing. Just the first couple things that come up is uh, like the New Yorker wrote an article about how the satire backfires. I haven't read it. Uh, there's another one called FacingToday.FacingHistory.org, titled "What's Wrong with Jojo Rabbit." Um, I watched Jojo Rabbit with the former Hitler youth. Ba 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 ba. Uh, Tika Watiti said, you know, uh, says there would be less Jojo Rabbit backfire if people knew that he was Jewish. There's a, this is a different stuff. Or here's one from IndieWire called Why the Nazi Satire and Jojo Rabbit Doesn't Work. So, anyways, long story straight. I haven't read any of that, nor do I necessarily subscribe to that. So, uh, the reason why I bring it up, though, is because I think a lot of my first watch was kind of like. Uh, Looking for what could have pro- like been the problem, yeah, you know, 
I don't really see much of a problem. I think it's actually kind of a surprisingly uh, surprisingly complex look at the, the, the situation. Because there are a number of Nazi characters like the guy that JoJo has as a pseudo-dad. Yeah. Um, um, oh, fuck, what's that actor's name? Sam something? Sorry, go on. Rockwell? Yeah, Sam Rockwell. Very good. Um, yeah, he's a very easy character with a lot of depth. Um, and is sort of portrayed as a kind of guy who like anybody is just like a guy who, you know, hey, I'm a Nazi, but that doesn't mean I'm, I'm a Nazi, right? Like, you know what I mean? It's that thing where like uh, today, if you're a Nazi, that means you're a fucking Nazi. But then there are probably a lot of just kind of normal guys that got into the military. They were just following then, orders is what you were saying? Yeah, that kind of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Tika's saying though. No, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's strange. It's like, it's like, like you said, he's got layers. He's complicated. He is a Nazi, mm-hmm. which is bad. But he's also like, like it kind of, it kind of plays into the the thing with JoJo, where JoJo doesn't really understand what's happening because he's ten. Um, and I guess Sam Rockwell knows what's happening, but also thinks it's a bunch of bullshit. But also at the same time. It's just his position in life right now, and he happens to be a German man who has to fight in this war and isn't yeah. happy about it, um, and I guess turns at the end. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I'm not going to be doing any, like, Nazi defending here, but that's just an objective reality is that just there's no way 100% of everybody who was a Nazi then was a Nazi because they were like, oh, yes, every Jew needs to die. Okay. You know, there are probably plenty of people who... Maybe get C's in school and you thought, oh, the military is a nice way to get a career. Or I'm sure they had a pretty strict drafting policy. Oh, absolutely. I think historically, towards the tail end, much like the movie, they were recruiting children. Mm-hmm. Um, not only that, but also indoctrinating children. You know, Hitler Youth. Uh, That's, uh, what, sorry, go on. I was going to say that my great-grandfather was in the Hitler Youth. Yeah? Yeah. Wild. Yeah. I'm sure mm-hmm. if I got, yeah, my dad's German, so I'm sure if I go far back enough there, I'm probably related to a Nazi somewhere. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't like thinking about that. <laughs> but that's the tricky thing. I mean, that's one of the, the, the biggest things about it is I feel like the dehumanization of Nazis and Nazism and the whole Germany, yada, 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 to make them out to be like Star Wars stormtroopers makes it harder to understand how that kind of thing could happen. Whereas something yeah. like this is a very earnest portrayal. Um, this yeah, is just another example of how easy it can happen, how easily, you know, a nation could be swept into something like that. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons it was probably made when it was. It came out in 2019. Yeah. Where, you know, a lot of people are like, there can't be Nazis in America. Nazis are just people who are born evil. And it's like, yeah, no, that's a... Uh, could very well be happening here if we let it yeah and i have to commend this attempt because there have been a lot of attempts at the whole like i want to comment on what's going on with the trump thing that have fallen flat yeah and uh the nice thing about this one is it seems like it's sort of inspired by what's going on socially but it the, the point is not to just dunk on some exactly fun, you yeah. know yeah it's also a full-fledged movie <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um these are two separate examples. One applies, one doesn't, but immediately the first couple things that come to mind are the newest Texas Chainsaw Massacre and uh, the Halloween kills. Not the whole movie, but just specifically that part where they try to do the evil dies tonight thing all night. Those two things are just poor examples of like, it seems like the writers didn't even think about it in relation to their product at large. Like they were sort of tacked in there. Um, that's not what's going on. And, you know, I, I only bring that up because that's not pushed to the forefront. That's just something that you glean through the empathy of, a, you know, being a, a, you know, a movie viewer. Yeah. In this movie. Um, otherwise, uh, pretty funny, lighthearted, cute, very funny things to say about a movie about Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I like very much so before moving too far from what you were saying when it comes to like like thinking about it i've never seen the producers uh is hitler a character in that movie or is somebody no somebody's playing hitler yeah Yeah. i would feel like if you were to do a movie real quick i should state in the producers the point is that they've purposely bought a script written by a german defector who wrote this to sort of clean hitler's name 
and mm -hmm. make everybody respect him again. Okay. Um, but inadvertently through the portrayal of a sort of like a, oh, what's that fucking night fight club? Fight club? What's his name? David Fincher? What about fight club? Norton, Edward Norton. Edward Norton. Yeah. Uh, sort of like a pseudo 1960s version of Ed Norton because that guy gets so into like what he sees as the character. Okay. The whole thing ends up coming off to the audience as a huge laugh, right? And so the guy, the screenwriter or whatever, the, 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 the playwright is in the audience, you know, the whole time going, why are they laughing? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. that kind of a thing. So that's that's the situation. Gotcha. Yeah. But I would say if, if, a, if a comedy came out that had Hitler in it, and Hitler's given a speech, like actual Hitler's given a speech, and uh-oh, his pants fall down, or he's a little goofy, it would feel weird. Because like, A, yeah, it's like, yeah, you're sticking it to Hitler, but also yeah. at the same time. I'm sure there are a lot of people out in the world that are like, hey, Hitler was a very serious, evil thing. Yeah. And it shouldn't be taken lightly. And I like how they do it in this, where it's this 10-year-old boy's idea of what Hitler is. Mm -hmm. And so he is basically a 10-year-old boy. Yeah. And I like... It, it, it's, it gets me right off the bat. It got me right off the bat the first time I saw it. I love, love, love how they set it up immediately. Where you get that fun scene with him and Hitler, where he's like, "Hi, me, man," and stuff like that, and he's like psyching himself up to go to his first day of training or whatever, and then he runs outside and they play the German version of "I want to hold your hand," mm -hmm. and then over that show a bunch of like stock footage of like Germans like losing their mind, watching Nazis run by and stuff like that, like mm -hmm. at parades and stuff like that, like cheering for him and stuff like that, and being like, "Oh, okay, that makes sense to a ten-year-old boy in Nazi Germany." This is kind of like Beatlemania. This is yeah. this is how he sees all of this. Yeah, and I love which happens. ties right into the cult of personality thing, right? Yeah. Like, I love that that just sets it for you immediately without having to really tell you at all. Yeah. Um, and don't believe the hype. Don't believe the hype. Exactly is the statement I need to make. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, again, it's obviously a weird thing to say about a movie about a little Nazi, but it's very heartwarming and fun. And um, I think just there's just a lot of little things about this movie that I really love that I think are done super well. Um, and there are some things about this movie I don't love. Some things that feel a little out of place that I don't think are great. I think it has like tone problems. Example. Like, um, like you get all the goofy stuff with imaginary Hitler and then things get very serious when he's talking with What's-Her-Face. Um Oh, I can't remember the girl's name. Who was in the attic? The the Jewish girl. Elsa. Elsa, yeah. And then you get Rebel Wilson, and she's like, "My father was a hush hush hush," and she's just over the top goofy. I did not like Rebel Wilson at yeah, all. Yeah, um, it just kind of takes you out of it here and there. But then there is like legitimately charming and funny scenes with Scarlett Johansson, his mom. And yeah, I think that's the thing I like the most about the movie. Probably. Yeah, it's yeah. great. I love their relationship, um, and I love just how like kind of subtly and you don't really pick up on it but how many times you see just him with her standing elevated so you see her shoes mm -hmm. so you know exactly what her shoes look like mm -hmm. so later when he walks to the gallows and you mm -hmm. see her shoes it's like oh fuck man um that that part's the bummer yeah that sucks a lot uh it gets me every time i watch it and i love that shot where it just shows all the buildings and the windows that look like eyes and yeah oh it's great Oh, and he tries to tie your shoes, but he doesn't know how to tie shoes. <laughs> yeah. I did like that re recurring motif, but I, I will say for me, the mom hanging thing, it's supposed to be abrupt and out of nowhere so that it hits harder, but it was so abrupt and out of nowhere that I was like, is that really what they're doing right now? I almost like, I was literally almost like, is this a dream sequence? Yeah. But then there's a long shot of him just continuing to hold her legs and hold her legs. and then, But it was almost like so shocking that... Uh, the impact didn't even hit me. I'm sure it would on subsequent viewings. Is another expectation thing, yeah. right? Like, I just was not expecting that to the point that even when it happened, I was like, "Oh, is he like? Is this like supposed to be like a humanizing moment where he's hallucinating that this woman could be his mom or something like that?" And this is like a wake up moment. And it's like thirty seconds later, he's still hanging out with the shoes, and I'm like, "Okay, this definitely happened." Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Um. Because you're right, tonally speaking, it is, I'm just saying that on your topic of tone, it's so abrupt. 
for me personally. That's yeah. just me, though. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that. Yeah. I wouldn't hold it against the movie. I'm just saying it didn't land first watch for me. Yeah, I get that. Absolutely. Me. This is a movie, like I said at the top, yeah, I think it, 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 it does much more the second time you watch it. Yeah. But the time the shoe motif, really good. Like I said, I love Scarlett Johansson. I also love when she does the, you know, monologue doing mom and dad. Yeah. Um, yeah, she really gets a chance to do her thing. Great, great, great. Good stuff. Really good stuff. Yeah, I love that. When she yells at him, she's like, don't talk to your mother like that. And then goes yeah. stands in the corner. What's wrong? I yelled at the boy. <laughs> it actually reminds me of uh, the mom from The Conjuring has a role in The X-Files, I yeah. think. I could be totally wrong, but there is an episode... It's not the mom from The Conjuring, because the mom in The Conjuring, she's got one where she has daredevil powers. Cool. But she can only see when crime happens. That's Cooler. the only time her sight <laughs> activates. The one I'm thinking of is like this this lady, and uh, she has like multiple personalities or whatever, and the one that comes out talks like that, the voice that Scarlett Jansen always does. Uh, you know, like Mulder will come in and be like, I want to talk to Gary now. And she'll be like, nah, nah, Gary's not here right now. And like she keeps tapping her head. It's really weird. Yeah, <laughs> it was a total non sequitur. Yeah, went nowhere. Um, I love I love the casting of uh, um, Stephen Merchant as the Gestapo. Gestapo, yeah. mm-hmm. um, because he is what like seven feet tall. Yeah, so he is just the scariest, most opposing Nazi. Because yeah. every time he's talking to anybody, he's literally looking two feet down at somebody. <laughs> yeah. Like I think I swear to God, when there's that one shot of him with uh, uh, Sam Rockwell, I think mm. they put Sam Rockwell in a hole or something like that. It's insane. Yeah. Um, and I love Elsa. I think that actress is really good. She's in Last Night in Soho. She's the main character of that. I haven't okay. seen that yet. I'd like to. Um, I feel bad because everything I like about this movie is pretty surface level. But I think it's one of those movies where it's just just like MJR. It yeah. just works. Yeah, I think it's just a nice yeah. tight little movie. In that regard, it reminds me of like something like Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Yeah, where like there's nothing to bite into there. Yeah, it's all flash. Yeah, um, just a good time. It's a good time. Uh, which is a funny thing to say about a movie about Nazis. Yeah, exactly. Never <laughs> thought, hey, who would thought, huh? Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah, Sam Rockwell, that's great. Uh, I actually especially like the end, the little tricky pulls. It's not that complicated. Nothing in the movie is that complicated, but him just yanking the Nazi coat off of, yeah. you know, him and being like, get out of here, you dirty little Jew, whatever, you know. That's nice. That was neat. I like that. I love the the little little implications here and there that him and his partner are gay uh-huh. just like the stolen glances and stuff like that mm-hmm. and then i just love him at the end with the big colorful cape and stuff like that just that giant gun it's great it's a good, great visual uh something i don't think i ever noticed before this time watching it at one point when they go see sam rockwell and rebel wilson they make a joke like, oh, yeah, the clones are ready. And then it cuts to a shot of a bunch of little blonde boys who are all the same. Yeah, he says you got to go walk the clones or something like that. Those fuckers are all over this movie. Oh, yeah. Constantly. There's just shots where there's just a sea of little blonde boys who are all the same boy yeah. running out with a bunch of other Nazis. I never noticed it until yeah. watching it this time. And in that regard, it reminds me a bit of, I hate to keep, you know, apples to apples everything, but... Uh, or apples to oranges, or whatever the fuck you want to call it. I was saying apples to apples because they're so similar in my head, but perhaps it is apples to oranges. Um, also reminds me of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. Um, yeah. First one's, you know, supernatural. Second one, a little more serious and kind of reality. But uh, both spoofs, both satires. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and also, yeah, I think that there's some shared DNA there just because that's like a weird little sci-fi thing and kind of reminds yeah. me of The World's End or something like that. It's just neat. It's a little neat thing. Again, uh, I still stand by my statement that the funniest movies are absolutely spoofs yeah. slash satires. Also, shout out this movie and the next movie we're going to talk about. Shout out to the kid actors. They're great in this movie. Yeah? Uh, yeah, I think kid actors are usually pretty bad. I think that main kid is great. Yeah. Um, and then his friend with the glasses. Love that kid. Yeah. The kid's legitimately very He's funny. He's pretty funny. I love when yeah. like, at the very end when he's like, yeah, we've teamed up with the Japanese and don't tell anybody, but they don't seem very Aryan to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I especially like the moment where, uh, you know, he's like, I'm not your best friend. He's like, obviously Hitler is. Unless you're Hitler hiding in a fat little boy's body, <laughs> then no, you're number two and you should be happier number two. It's very funny. I will say also, my partner, uh, she uh, referred to the ending, the very ending, the little dance number. Mm-hmm. 
as quote unquote one of the greatest dance sequences of all time in, in cinema yeah. ever. Yeah. Which I just I disagreed with primarily because I was like, I don't even remember. It happened for like ten seconds, I felt like. It yeah. wasn't even that long. It's a little awkward, and I think that's the yeah. point, but also it doesn't leave a huge impact on me. No, it's just like they snap for a second and then the David Bowie song and then credits. It's like Yeah. It's somewhere in the realm of ten to thirty seconds. It's not Yeah. It's nice because Yeah. Yeah, earlier in the movie when he says, What's the first thing you'll do if you're free? And she's yeah. like, I'll dance. Mm-hmm. And she finds that she's free. She slaps yeah. him and then she dances. So yeah, also not to put her on blast either i was just curious to get your perspective on that yeah i don't agree no also i couldn't tell you what i think the best dance sequences in movies are so neither could i i was trying to think i don't honestly the first thing that ever comes to mind is just joseph gordon levitt seeing his reflection as han solo in the dance number in 500 days of summer <laughs> i don't even remember that yeah he has uh, sex finally and uh you make my dreams come true plays for like the entire duration of the song and he dances mm-hmm. through the city on the way to work and there's like animated birds and hey, the whole city solo yeah like as soon as he leaves the uh, her apartment he like comes out the door and everyone's like down 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 and he like looks in the mirror like checking and then in the reflection you can see that it's actually han solo that winks at him oh nice yeah yeah saying he sees himself with han solo in that moment yeah yeah that's the only thing that comes to mind but also i'm not uh, necessarily huge on like I, I guess like musicals would have most yeah, of the I dance like musicals but i don't i don't watch enough yeah yeah, I, I assume they would have more of the dance numbers. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember the ones from the one from La La Land. Yeah, I think that's it. But yeah, I was also thinking about um, Saving Private Ryan a lot while I was watching this, primarily because I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. I have seen the the scene where they storm like D Day or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There have been Diesel's in that movie. Yeah, I've heard, but I've never seen anything. It's insane to think about. I'll probably never watch it because of that. Yeah. I don't think I can take that movie seriously. But in that opening, um, in stark contrast to the way Nazis are portrayed here, you can't even see the Nazis in their bunker. All you can see is the flashes of their guns. Yeah. Right? It's very inhumanizing. But, very inhumanizing. But, to a, diff- to a different effect, the point there being that if you were literally on that beach, all you would be able to see are those flashes. And I just kept thinking about that as opposed to the Jojo Rabbit thing. Perhaps I'd have more to say if I'd seen the movie. But alas. War never changes. I saw Saving Private Ryan, like most of it, while waiting to get a tattoo in San Antonio, Texas. So my friends are getting tattoos before me, and I just sat on this couch, and they had Saving Private Ryan playing on a TV for some reason. So I watched an hour of that, maybe. I've also never seen Schindler's List. Me neither. Yeah. It's long. That's why I haven't seen it. I've heard people are deeply offended by the boy in the striped pajamas. Yeah? Yes. Have you ever seen it? Oh, uh, when I was very young. It's also a, a book. I saw it a bunch in school. Yeah. Showed it to us, like, every year. Because, you know, yeah. they teach you about the Holocaust every year in school mm. until you, you leave. Yeah, I think once a year we watch The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. Yeah. And all the time people would be like, my, well, that's one of my favorite movies. I'm like, yeah. You're a dumb person. <laughs> yeah, just for example, there's a Guardian article here. If you choose to read it, I have not. The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, quote, may fuel dangerous Holocaust fallacies, unquote. I might check that out. Yeah. Let's look at reception. All I remember is the boy dies at the end. Uh, Catherine uh, Hughes writes in The Guardian. This is just from Wikipedia. Uh, the novel is a, a small wonder of a book, but she takes issue with the laxness of Auschwitz describes uh, and describes the novel as something that borders on fable, arguing that Bruno's innocence comes to stand for the willful refusal of all adult Germans to see what's going on under their noses. But I don't really see much else. I'm sure I could keep reading forever. Oh, there's a rabbi here. Rabbi Benjamin Benjamin Belch offered a historical uh, criticism contending that the premise of the book and subsequent film, that there could be a child of Shmuel's age in Auschwitz, was possible writing of the book. Note to the reader, there was there were no nine-year-old Jewish boys in Auschwitz. The Nazis immediately gassed those not old enough to work. The rabbi affirmed the opinion of a Holocaust survivor friend of the book is, quote, not just a lie and not just a fairy tale, but a, pro- Ooh. a profanation. Profanation? Profanation? 
Students, uh, students who read it, he warns, may believe the camps, quote, weren't that bad, unquote, if a boy could conduct a clandestine friendship with a Jewish captive of the same age, unaware of constant, the constant presence of death. Uh, there was also a Holocaust uh, scholar who rebutes, uh, okay, that. Uh, ba -ba -ba -ba. He writes that the rabbi found implausible the very existence of a child that age in the camp, uh, but that is factually incorrect. There were no female children, according to records shown in 1944, but there were 619 male children at the camp, ranging in ages from one month to 14 years old. So who knows? But anyways, that's just a little dabble. I don't know. So fuck you, boy in the striped pajamas. You just got burnt. <laughs> um, anything else? You got anything else? Uh, about Jojo Rabbit? No, no, not really. No. What would you give it? Uh, perhaps a B. Fuck. Yeah. I guess I'm doing this. I'd give it a solid B. Yeah. yeah. Them's the breaks, I guess. <laughs> Seems Ugh. like Mr. Magic Man ain't calling us by. Yeah, I'm pretty upset about it. Yeah. He said 30 minutes. It's been 40. What are you going to do? What else do we watch? What if he just shows up? What if in the middle of this, we, there's just a puff of smoke right here? And yeah, my mentalism. That's that's my... that's my Told good. me your address. That's the thing I'm most concerned about is that he does mentalism. I was reading some of the reviews. I just want him to do magic. He's going he's gonna to freak our bean, and I'm not excited about that. Yeah? Yeah. How freaked am I going to be? I don't know, man. Like Chris Angel Mind Freak. That's that's what mentalism is. He's going to reach into your soul and pull out your secrets. He'll be able to divine things about me? I guess. I saw one. He's got a lot of videos online. He's got one where he... Ah, uh, fuck. I don't remember what he calls it. But it's a mentalism trick, I guess, apparently. Where he closes his eyes for a very long time. And then when he opens them, his pupils are different. He's got, like, yellow, like, cat eyes. So he closes his eyes again and they're normal. Huh. Getting a call back from this guy? Yeah, apparently. Being able to have cat eyes as well as normal eyes, but yeah, also that. Yeah. What else we watch? What else did we watch, Chris? Moonlight? Yeah, Moonlight. Mail time. Oh, Moonlight. A few slices of life with a side of sandy hand jobs. Parental neglect and the rekindling of old flames. The 2016 Best Picture winner is truly an upsetting delight. I could have gone with less cum. Um, yeah, is this the one that had that, like, controversy at the... It wasn't a controversy, they just read the wrong... Well, I just mean that, yeah, that's, yeah, like yeah. A, that's a they hiccup. It was La La Land, and then... Yeah. Like, oh, never mind, it was Moonlight. La La Land, yeah. Do you feel like that was warranted for this to win over La La Land? I'd say so, yeah. Yeah? I really enjoyed La La Land when it came out. Yeah. I'm afraid to rewatch it now, because yeah. I'm sure it won't hold up. Doesn't seem like it has head staying power. No. I don't think a lot of people liked it when it came out, either. Yeah? Um, I liked it. But primarily towards the end when it's bittersweet. Yes, I love all that stuff. I've heard a lot of people talk about how great that opening sequence is. That's the part I skip every And time. it seems like, again, another strike against me as a fan of musicals or something because it's just not what I want. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to rewatch it one of these days. Yeah. I don't know when, but I will. Yeah. Uh, Chris, what's your experience with Moonlight? I uh, saw it with a couple of friends. I saw it with a couple of friends, um, surprisingly, powerful enough to break through the problem I have, like that barrier of like, I just feel like... Uh, Homophobia? No, some movies like uh, just don't, they just hit different when you're hanging out with a crew. Yeah, I get that. You know, that solo experience is something else, but hanging out with a crew, you're kind of booling a little bit, you know, you're not, you one foot in, one foot out. And I got to be honest with this view being hyper aware of you and like watching it and stuff like that again was the same thing like just one foot one out you know that kind of yeah. thing um whereas times where i've watched this alone you know that'll have me feeling like drake i'll be in my feelings yeah absolutely i can get that um but yeah i I've, I've subsequently seen it a couple of times and uh you'll remember this is you know not that my list of top 100 films of all time is even accurate anymore. I've seen quite a few movies that I'd put on there in place of others, but also uh, about it. it wasn't... Uh, you also had many, many devils. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Not that it was in any way um, merit-based or you know ranked yeah. even, but it was so close to my mind that it made the top maybe even five. I, I think so. I think it might have been like number three or something like that on my list. 
Um, cause yeah, it just, when I think of like some of the greatest movies I've ever seen that, that this one always comes to the, the top. Um, yeah, this one's very, uh, just, yeah, powerful and moving. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly like what it is, but, uh, yeah, it gets me feeling vulnerable, you know? So a little vulnerable picture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How about you? Um, so those movies that I've just been on a list where I'm like, yeah, I got to get to that one of these days. And then the other day you held two movies behind your back and you went, pick one. And I picked Moonlight. Um, and yeah, I loved this. Yeah. Um, I get exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Watching it with someone else being one foot in, one foot out. But it still got me. Yeah. And yeah, like, yeah. like you said, I think I'd, li- I'd like to watch this alone sometime. Yeah. I think um, there's definitely a, a picture that goes in the category of must also be watched alone. Yeah. Like my biggest thing about it is I, I, I can't think of a better way to word it, but it just perfectly captures just being in your feels. Yeah. Like it just like, like no one's ever really like not so much that people are doing it in the movie, but like. You know, you have those times where you're just, like, just really, really contemplative about life. Yeah. And it almost feels like, like you see in this movie a lot, like Mm. you're sitting at a beach and you're watching just the waves go by. And just life starts to make sense a little bit. But you're also, like, kind of in your own head, but also you're super aware of where you are Mm -hmm. and, like, the weather and like what your hands are touching and stuff like that and it doesn't even have to like i said be at a beach yeah it could just be you know you're outside of a show on a cold night and you're smoking a cigarette mm. or something like that where you're just i don't know i guess you just like really in tune you yeah know? like very sensual experience exactly. like a sensory exactly kind of thing. yeah um where yeah it's like it's very sensory but also you're very like again in your own head at the same time yeah um and this movie just feels like that to me. Yeah, because it's a movie that, like, I feel like I can I can feel what that sticky Florida weather feels like. I, you know, like, yeah. when you're on the beach, I feel like I can almost smell the ocean or, like, feel yeah. the sand. Like, it, uh, I know what you're talking about very specifically, that it encapsulates, like, the moments you can relate to. But even the film itself, uh, just every frame, I'm like, I feel like I'm in that little house with that little boy, that little, the yeah. little trap house, you know. Or whatever, like, just something about it. Or when they're fucking around in the field. I just, like, I think about the fifth grade and being told to go play flag football for 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's great. I, I, slice of life movies are usually 50-50 for me. Yeah. Uh, I usually, I either hate them or I love them. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one I love. Uh, it's very impressive to me. Yeah. And there can really be no actual resolution to our movie. You mm-hmm. just see part of somebody's life, and it's just captivating. Yeah, like just I'm in the entire fucking time. Um, yeah, that's the other thing is it's it's uh, especially on this viewing, I was yeah uh, keenly aware of like just how it's almost devoid of a plot in so much as like life doesn't really have a plot. Yeah, of course there is a plot because there's a story being told, and there are moments of resolution and finality and whatever. But it's also very open ended as is life. Uh, yeah not a really lot going on just kind of like a window in and along the way you just keep going fuck oh i know what that feels like yeah and it's you know it's it's great it's one of those movies where i cannot relate less to the situation of life that this guy is in but so much that happens in this movie it's like fuck yeah i know what that feeling is like yeah um i don't know how it is to get to that situation mm. in his life, but I know when, you know, yeah, you get just when you get them them feels. But. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting as well because yeah, it, I mean, it it, uh, it is a story that's not often told. Yeah, um, and it's also neat because there is there's the violence does happen in it, but one of the things I like is that primarily it's a movie that exists without, in a sense, right? Yeah. Like, it's more so about, you know, the emotional journey and stuff like that. Um, I always think about it, especially back when I would, you know, when we were doing the top 100 list. One of the realizations I had was, like, so many movies that end up on the list are just, like, about a white dude with a gun. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And this is very much so not that. <laughs> um, it's a very, uh, yeah, emotionally in-touch movie. And that's... Uh, 
always refreshing. Uh, it reminds me of something that I, I heard someone say about um, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Uh, just about it being a, like, sort of nonchalant um, example. Like, they don't make a big deal about it, but it's primarily about a guy going to therapy. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, you know what I mean? It's so antithetical to anything else that movies usually are, in a sense, right? Similar thing, I've heard people say things about, you know, The Sopranos in that regard, right? Like, here, that's the whole point. The conceit is, imagine a mob guy. First of all, he's a guy. Second of all, he's in the mob. Imagine that guy talking about his feelings to a therapist. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the elevator pitch a little bit, right? But anyways, uh, to rein it in a little bit. Yeah, from Jump, um, Blue or Juan, you know, uh... Yeah, always fascinated with that character. I love that. I, I love how everybody's a, a little complicated, right? Like, he's yeah. a drug dealer. And much like the Nazis in the other movie. Also not a bad guy, though. Okay. Um, I, uh... Oh, God, what's his name? The actor. Who plays Juan? Yeah. I don't know of him. Um, Marshall Ali. Oh, okay. Uh, love him. Love him in everything I've ever seen him in. What else has he been in? He has been in... Don't do that to me. I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head, but every time I see Marshall Ali in something, I'm like, ooh. Okay. He was in, I believe, the first or the only season of Luke Cage. He was the bad guy. Uh, yeah, I didn't watch Luke Cage. Okay. But I was just curious because I haven't seen him anywhere, so that's what I was asking. That I think that's like not canon anymore. Yeah. Do you know who Marshall Ali is going to be playing in an upcoming Marvel movie, Chris? Huh. Yes. Blade? Oh, hell oh, yeah. Oh, going to be Blade. I'm oh, I was so stoked. Such a big Blade fan growing up. Um, he's also in the Invincible TV show, which is strange. Mm -hmm. I was watching it not too recently. I mean, not pretty recently. I was watching it pretty recently. Uh, and it kind of feels like he's phoning it in, especially after seeing Moonlight. He's definitely just talking. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like he, he does a really good job in that role. Yeah, Even down to just little things like... Uh, kind of just fidgeting around with his mouth or like squinting to look off in the distance while he's talking and stuff it all feels like just the mannerisms of that character yeah. you know not something that he does as a person as you know uh but as the, the you know the character does absolutely um yeah the one of the only problems i have is uh <laughs> they did a great job of having a little boy who looks a lot like the adult version yeah but middle they make it yeah, the middle, middle yeah, little yeah. doesn't look a lot like either <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah yeah wild um, yeah i'd like to talk about the scene that you didn't remember seeing oh where they show everybody their dicks yeah yeah all those yeah. boys are in that room just showing each other their dicks yeah you ever do that when i was a kid yeah yeah like get, get with a group of dudes and be like let's look at our dicks yeah okay yeah like multiple boys at once i think so okay also one-on-ones, you know? Oh, we've all done the one-on-ones. Yeah. 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 But yeah, that's just another example of something that, uh, you know, I don't know. I just feel like doesn't get touched on a lot in movies, you know, a little bit. It's just Absolutely. one of those things Absolutely, that's yeah, not yeah. really, really out there. But it's integral to the experience of growing up as a boy. I'm not saying integral in terms of, like, that's a like a staple. Like, that has to happen. It's not like a tradition or something. I'm just, just saying that that's something boys do. Yeah, very strange. Don't I know, know ladies do it as well. I've heard that the women do it as well. Okay. And I'm sure that our friends beyond the binary guys do it as well. Um, But, yeah, it is another one of those things where, like, uh, so many moments are just so true to life that, again, it's just yeah. part of the spell this motherfucker casts on you. It's crazy. Um, But, yeah, he's a little boy. He's hanging out with Juan. Um, one of the things I didn't notice until this watch is not a huge thing, but just even the first time Juan meets um, Little's mother, he says something about uh, the trap house that he was that he found Little in. Yeah, and there's some little interaction. I can't remember exactly the wordage. What's that? It's a mask. I can't remember the wordage, but uh, they, they basically indicate to each other that they like he he knows she uses kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's something about like uh, the trap house off like fifteenth or something like that, and she says like, "Oh, I know it" or something like that, or yeah, yeah, whatever it is, something like that. Yeah, you know, something that caught me off guard is in this movie when he he brings him home for the first time. 
And his mom's like, mm, no, mister, no more TV for you. And she looks like, if I'm not mistaken, like she's wearing scrubs or something. Yeah. I very much so was like, oh, this is weird. He has a very nice mother. Mm. Yeah, it's it's strange that he's acting like this. But immediately, immediately goes tits up. Immediately yeah. goes ass up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the scenes in the first chunk of the film that always uh, hit me is when she's like, you know, you gonna raise my son? You gonna raise my yeah. son? Like that whole that whole monologue is, that one cuts deep. And watch it, I'm like, oh, please raise her son. Please raise her son. <laughs> but then also, yeah, it's a, it's when you see him old, uh, little as a, an adult man and he's doing exactly what Blue is doing. And it's yeah. like, oh, fuck, that's bad. But also, yeah, yeah, I guess I guess that yeah. makes sense. I love the little nod to him where he also has a crown on the inside of his car, too, or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the scene when he's teaching him how to swim. Yeah. Um, I really like the decision to, A, have the camera in the water with them. Yeah. But also the camera is halfway submerged in the water the entire time. Mm-hmm. So even though this is like a very simple thing where clearly uh, Blue is standing. And so it's not that deep of water. It just feels terrifying. Like the first time you went in the ocean or you were learning how to swim. Um, yeah, and he says that thing about like you feel that you're on the center of the universe and i'm sure you could chop that up all different kinds of ways because obviously the ocean is very important to little and just that feeling that like weightlessness and all that kind of stuff that's a motif that comes up all, all over and over again i mean that shit happens on the beach where he gets the hand job the only sexual experience he seems to have had perhaps in his whole life um yeah but also just like, you know sometimes he'll be laying in bed dreaming and the sounds of the ocean will start to yeah. roll in or whatever it is um that keeps coming back the waves, the water, the ocean. Do you think it's what we were talking about? Like the the super sensory experience where I guess you're in your feels. Yeah. And you're kind of floating, but also, I don't know, maybe not. I definitely think it's, whether intentional or not, there's something about the sounds of wave crashing that everybody gets a reaction from. Yeah, yeah, you know absolutely. I mean? that's, that's definitely something that you can easily grab a sensory response from somebody with, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then that paired with it actually having, you know, emotional relevance to the story yeah. is probably the one-two punch. That is there one at the end? Does it go to the ocean in the end of the movie? Yeah, because they're sitting on the beach. Remember, he's got like his head on the shoulder, and he's just like rubbing his head. Oh, is that at the beach? I think so. I think the sounds of. I thought it was his bedroom. Could be. But you hear yeah, that, it could be the kitchen. And you actually, hear yeah. the sound. You hear the, the sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then throughout middle school, he's getting bullied. That's where it, there is some violence. Um, not much. Though. I mean, he gets beat up. It's very sad because the guy who just gave him a hand job yeah. is now being made to beat him up. Yeah, watching this, A, I love that. You can tell it's the same guy because he's been wearing the same chain since he was a child. <laughs> um, but um, I thought for sure, I was like, we're Kev. Is like, yeah, I was blowing this girl's back out and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, man, he's going to be the one that, like, confronts him for being gay. Mm-hmm. And that's, he's going to lose that friendship and that's going to suck. Yeah. And then they have that nice moment on the beach. And I was like, but what about this poor girl who just got her back blown out? What about her? <laughs> um, she probably didn't even exist. But they have that nice moment. Um, and then he drops him off and they do that thing where they, like, they, they do the head shake goodbye and they linger a little bit. And I was like, oh, that's very sweet. I thought for sure he was gonna be he was gonna be the guy that 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 blows his cover or whatever mm-hmm. not blows his cover but it was like the catalyst to this chapter of the movie. Yeah, I was like, ah, oh, nice. I'm glad that's not gonna happen. I'm glad they're in a. Wait a second. Now I've seen movies. That's what's gonna happen. <laughs> it's just gonna make it even worse now. And yeah, that's what ends up happening. Yeah. yeah. Also interesting how Juan's just gone. I mean, he's dead. Yeah. But I like they don't linger on that much. Yeah. It's just a thing that happened. Like someone says it in the background once. I yeah. Think. Like, oh yeah, last time I saw her. It's his mom. She says, last time you saw Tara. Is that the woman's name? Teresa. Teresa. Last time I saw Teresa was at the funeral. It's yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes mm. sense. Yeah. Also, I don't know her name, but Little's mom. I think that actress really does a great oh, job throughout this whole thing. I think just everybody knocks it out of the park. I think she does an amazing job. Yeah, especially at the end when she's older and just the tears rolling down her face because, like, I don't know. By no means was my childhood anything like this. It was not. Mm-hmm. But my mom was also, like, 20, you know, working jobs and 
you know, failed relationships and stuff like that. Shit was rugged sometimes. And, like, I've, my mom's already gotten to the point where, like, we've had conversations like that. Not the whole, like, I don't care if you love me, but, like, but she's always, like, I, you know, I tried and just, you know, kind of crying and stuff like yeah. that. It's very true to, yeah, that's definitely, you know. No, and I think everybody, my my experience was even less than yours. I had a pretty standard growing up with both of my parents. My Both of my parents are still together and mm-hmm. no one, like horrendously beat me or left me anywhere or anything Uh like that i had a pretty normal childhood but yeah i think we all have those moments where because our parents are people yeah your parents do or say something to you where you're like what the fuck man yeah like that seems almost unforgivable and you hold on to that for a very long time and Mm. then you have a conversation something like that with one of your parents yeah fuck all right you're a person and you'll love me and i Mm -hmm. love you too yeah um but I love I love that shot when he goes and sees mom sees his mom, and it just shows them sitting at that table, and I assumed he's at her house because he drove back to Florida or whatever, or no she's in she's in Georgia she's yeah in Georgia with yeah him too. Uh, anyway he went to his mom's house and then the camera cuts to behind her and you see him and it's not like the center of attention or anything like that but you can see he has a vis- visitor badge on it's like oh fuck that's rough she says something about how. She basically alludes to her being out of whatever program that facility offers, but they house her for free and she can help other people, so she's going to stick around because it'll keep her out of trouble yeah. or something like that. Um, Also love that needle drop when he does drive to Florida in the final chapter at Everett, the classic man, the chopped and screwed classic love man. Love That's it. great. Um, especially because uh, this is just surface level. Um, but I know that like the chopped and screwed kind of like slowed down and whatever. Mm-hmm. That's uh, straight out of... Uh, that's a that's a southern rap thing for sure. So yeah. in Georgia, that would definitely be exactly the type of music yeah. that Little would be. I bumping. I loved. There's a scene after he he sees his mom and it shows him driving on the freeway, and then like there's like a transition where it shows a bunch of kids in the ocean in the moonlight playing. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, beautiful, because I thought this is where the movie was ending. Uh-huh. And then he goes and sees Kev. Yeah. And I was like, oh, fuck. I guess this movie's still going. And I think that's my favorite part of the movie. The Kev stuff? When he goes back to the diner at the end, yeah. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. Because that one, that part has always been, not that it's bad, but my least favorite of the three, I think. I think, yeah, I think the chapter as a whole isn't my favorite. No, I wouldn't even be able to tell you what chapter is my favorite. But there's something about that diner scene, just the way it's shot and the way how, I guess, slow the whole thing is. Yeah. Um, I get the whole movie's slow, but this is it's very broken up. Yes, it's broken up, but in a very By him having to work his real way. Job, exactly, yeah. that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, is him just like going in there, not recognizing, and be like, "I'm with mm. you in a second, man. I'll be right there, man." And then he sees him, he's like, "Oh fuck, man, blah blah this and that." He's like, "You want you someone off the me- uh, menu, or I give this chef special?" And he's like, "Hey, man, give me that chef special." And he goes and makes it for him. And there's that wonderful scene where it's, there's that music playing, and he's very lovingly making him that food. Um. That's the first part, the first time where I finally put it together. I'm like, oh, that's what this movie reminds me of is those... Chef. Chef. Um, no, those quiet sensory moments and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, he sits down at the booth with them and he's eating and they're talking and things are getting kind of real. And I just love while they're doing that, he still has to work his job and they don't cut away <laughs> from it ever. It's just yeah. like a... a a long time he gets up and he rings someone out and goes how you doing yeah this and that okay cool 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 alright you guys have a good night and then he has to go and he cleans the table and he brings the dishes back and then yeah. he comes and sits down cause it's like a point in a conversation where he has something to say back to him immediately right but he can't goes and does his job yeah situation diffuses a little bit and then he sits down and the conversation's a little bit different yeah it's great but it happens throughout that whole scene I think when he gets up and plays the song it's a little cheesy I'm not yeah. gonna lie but cause the song I feel like is built up just cinematically speaking as a movie goer. It's like an expectation thing. You expect it to be like, like it'll hit you right in the heart. Yeah. And it's not. It's just kind of like a throwaway 50 songs about like, hello, stranger. Haven't heard from you in a little while. Yeah. How have you been? I love you. You know. Yeah. I think the lyrics hit me, but it like does. Just the song. It's but just overall, like, it's just. That. I'm like, no, nah, <laughs> yeah. these two guys wouldn't be fucking with this song. No. Um, but I get it, like, because the reason why I think it works ultimately is I feel like 
nine times out of ten, whenever I'm like, man, this song reminds me of you. That's exactly how it goes off. You play it for someone and it doesn't really, mm-hmm. it doesn't really work the way it works for you inside. I've right? never done that because I never, and I cannot imagine. Not romantically even, that. just be like, oh, hey, this thing reminded me of you. And like in your head, you have all these little things about how like, oh, this line and that line. And then just like the song as a whole, like it just reminds me of Nick. Every time I hear it, I think yeah. of Nick. And then I show it to you and you're like, yeah, that's cool. Like that's just kind of what goes, I feel like. Yeah, I get that. I, if yeah. anything, I go, hey, I heard the song and it sounds like a song I think you would like. And yeah. I'll show it to somebody. Yeah. But no, no, I think last time you did that, it was Transformer Man. Oh, yeah. And I was like, mm, swing and a miss, Chris. And then like, <laughs> and by the time the song was over, I was like, this man. song fucks. I love it. I, I still listen to it pretty consistently. I love that song. Like so I said, much. nine times out of ten. That's an exception. Yeah. Uh, and then they go back home. That's where it starts getting that's a little heavy hitter sexy oh no uh i do like him talking about uh just having no direction or whatever never really did anything he wanted to do uh and then he ended up going to prison for a little while mm-hmm. now he's out and he's like i've got a job and i've got a kid i don't make a lot of money but like now i have a life that's something i just got purpose. Have, he's got right? something he's yeah, doing yeah exactly i like that and then you get hit with that even heavier there's just something about him being like that's the only time i ever touched anybody or i've ever been touched i haven't really yeah. touched anyone since we're just like dang and it's so open-ended i mean what's yeah. up with them cuddling you think that they're getting together are they just sharing a tender what is that i think he's giving them a hand job right again no i'm kidding i don't know yeah what do you make of the ending i guess is that like what do you think happens next for them i don't know and i don't think it matters doesn't matter i think the big point of that is it just finally he's come all this way since the original beach hand job yeah uh and his life hasn't been great he's been doing what he can um and then it ends on just like even in the diner it's it's contentious it's it's rough and it's kind of tense and then they have that conversation and then they're sitting on his bed and he's rubbing his head and he hears the sound of the ocean and he just has he's having this nice moment with this guy yeah it's kind of twofold because on one hand it is very relatable because like sometimes when you want that closure with somebody they got the closure that's pretty much all you ever really get like you're not really it's not like suddenly they're gonna be best buds probably they go the separate ways and yeah they don't talk ever again um it just i think it's like yeah it doesn't need to be this big theatrical thing where they passionately kiss or something yeah. like that or he gives them a handjob on the beach again <laughs> it's just they just have this nice moment yeah. together and sometimes that's enough for the moment the other thing is it reminds me a bit of like uh yeah, when you like transfer schools or something like that, and then you get a hold of an old friend, and you're like, "Wow, that's what you turn out to be," or you bump into somebody. Mm-hmm. So it's a much more dramatic version of that, much yes, more emotional absolutely. version of that. But yeah, I definitely remember bumping into some fools from back in the day and being like, "Wow, this is what you're doing now, huh?" Oh, fixing air conditioning, huh? Yeah, interesting, interesting. Otherwise, the w- one thing I definitely want to shout out is uh, much like Juan with the uh, the the tiny. Uh, mannerisms I was talking about earlier. Uh, I really like that scene where Little as an adult gets the call from Kev and turns the tail end. He's just like rolling the phone on his like eyeball. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This is really neat. It's just a neat little, much like the diner scene, just like that little bit of realism dust sprinkled on top of the... Oh, I think it's all over this movie. Yeah. It is all over the place. Um, but in terms of like uh, something that isn't grounded in the reality that I'm being presented with. I love the shot. They go back to it one other time, but there's the shot, the slow motion shot of his mom yelling at him in silence in the hallway. And then she like slowly, like menacingly, like doesn't break eye contact with him and like slowly drifts into the other room with like that pink light hitting there. And then I think they play it in reverse later. It's a great looking shot. Love it. Just great. I love when you're talking about the mannerisms and stuff like that. It's not even so much mannerisms, but like you have your your key cast of characters who are all just knocking it out of the park. All three littles, um, the mom, Blue, Blue's wife, um, Kev, all of them just knocking it out of the park. But then every side character in this movie feels like I don't know if this is an actor or just a person that they found. But <laughs> yeah. they're like, oh, dude, you'd be great. Get in this movie. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, I feel like that's got to happen a lot of like Slice of Life movies where it's like. It does. Um, yeah, just get in this movie and just be you for a minute, right? Yeah, there's a couple of movies uh, in that similar category that I'd like to like run by you. 
um, thinking of Gummo, yeah. where it's very clear that the main characters are actors, but there are scenes where they interact with other people in the town that are just people they found. Yeah. Um, and also A Taste of Cherry, which is the Iranian mm-hmm. film that I've talked to you about a lot, um, which is the most true-to-real-life movie I've ever seen. As I've said before, like, you know, characters will be having a conversation in a car and they'll, like, pass a construction site and someone will say something and they won't be able to hear the yeah. other character well and they'll be like, I'm sorry, what? You know? Like, it comes off so conversational and just, like, normal mm-hmm. and, like, not a movie at all. Um, it's long, it's quiet. There's, I think, no music besides anything that's diegetic, you know? Um, yeah, super crazy real. Um, but on the topic of Gummo, yeah. <clears throat> it's uh, it's something that I know Harmony Corinne has done a couple of times. Like with kids, I'm pretty sure that's the same situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember you telling me that. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever heard, seen or heard or have any interest in the Midnight Trilogy by Richard Linklater? Uh, yeah. I don't know why I was thinking about that recently, but I was like, I think I'd like to see those movies, but they also might bum me out. Yeah. 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 I have somewhat of an interest, yeah, for sure. Um, anyways, Moonlight for me, that's an A plus. It's uh it's one of the best movies I've seen. I'd like to see it again. I'd like to see it alone. Yeah. I'd give it an A. Yeah. It might move up if I it might move up next time I see it, but yeah. as right now, yeah, I think I'd give it an A. Respectable solid A. Respectable solid A. Like gentleman's A. Yeah. Alright. Okay, so about a month has passed since we recorded this episode. <laughs> And we are finally, finally ready to call Magic Man Bill Cooper. Um, just a little update. I think me and him are friends now. Uh, me and him have been texting back and forth quite a bit. And things are going well. Uh, I told him I'd call him within the next few days, like an hour ago. Mm-hmm. Do you think he'd be uncouth to call him right now? Nah, ring him. We'll see if he answers. Okay. I don't want to catch him off guard. He's also listened to the podcast. Likes that we swear. So, <laughs> what episode did you send him? I sent him the website. He found out. He found a, uh, an episode by himself. So, did he uh, tell you which? No. <laughs> no. I'm guessing either the first or the last. Yeah. All right. You ready? Yeah. Uh, that was way better than I could have ever hoped for, just that phone call with him. Um, I was kind of, I've been pretty, like, like on the fence about this the entire time. Yeah. I want Bill here, to, I want Bill yeah. here tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah big time. All right. I, I wanted a weekend because that's when our, our cameramen could be yeah. available. But yeah. if it doesn't work out, <laughs> fuck them. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Well, that's Mattress man. Oh, you can't do that every time now, Chris. That was so good. <laughs> if you need more soup, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or go to our website, eatingsoupalone.com. And until next time... <laughs>